the exodus of God's people out of bondage in Egypt. And in this series, we've looked at the midwives doing the right thing, uh, Jochebed, who let go and let God, Miriam, last week, woman rejoicing and leading God's people and rejoicing in God's deliverance. And today, as I mentioned earlier, we come to Moses' wife, Zipporah, a woman who knew what God desired and eventually does it. Now, to understand Zipporah, we have to understand Moses. So if you allow me just to get everybody on the same page, we realize that Moses grew up as the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, and he was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He's basically being groomed to be the prince of Egypt. The scriptures teach us that when he is approaching the age of 40, that Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose rather to be with the people of God, the Hebrews, who were suffering ill treatment from the Egyptians. One day, Moses saw an Egyptian unjustly beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And Moses, thinking that no one would see him, attacked this, this Egyptian, killed him, and then actually buried him in the sand. That next day, Moses went out and he saw two of, his, of the Hebrews, two of his, his brothers, fighting against one another. And uh, Moses attempted to stop them. And the one pushes Moses away and says, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Now, it's important to note that, that uh, Stephen in Acts chapter 7 gives us some insight about this dialogue with this Hebrew pushing him away. Uh, because it, Stephen basically tells us that uh, Moses believed that the, that the Hebrews, the people of God, would understand that God had chosen him to be the leader of the deliverance out of the bondage of Egypt. And, and when this happened, it came to Moses that the people did not, did not understand that and did not accept him as God's deliverer. And we also see that when the Pharaoh heard about Moses killing the Egyptian, that the Pharaoh sought to kill Moses. And all of this caused Moses to flee to Midian, the land of Midian. Now, the Midianites were descendants from one of um, Abraham's children that was born to his second wife after Sarah, his first wife, passed away. And this child's name was, of course, Midian. So we see that the Midianites were the children of Abraham. And it seems that they were a nomadic people, primarily sheep farmers, uh, and they, the land of the Midians were considered in the southern Arabia, which is noted in the map. Now, as Moses fled to Midian, the scriptures tell us that one day he found himself sitting by a well. And as he, as he sat there, there were seven sisters that came up to water their flocks. And as Moses watched this, there were some shepherds that came in and basically uh, they, they denied the sisters access to the water. And so Moses steps in 
And he drives away these shepherds and he actually helps these sisters in watering their flocks. Now, because of Moses' assistance, the, the girls got home earlier than when they would normally get home. And so when they got home early, the, their father asked them, you know, how come are you home so early? And, and so they told their father this story that I just told you about the, that, about the well. And so um, the father naturally says, well, where is this guy? And, uh, well, we, we left him back at the well. It's like, no, 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 you girls don't understand. This guy is good marriage material here. You know? So go, go, and, and find that guy and bring him home for dinner. And so one of these sisters' name was Zipporah. And Zipporah, her name actually means little bird. So Hebrew tradition says that when when Zipporah heard her father says, go get that guy, that she flew like a little bird to find him and to bring him home for dinner. Now, it must have been a great gathering that night because the father actually invites Moses to stay with them, uh, to lodge with them for an undetermined amount of days. And we see that over the course of time that the father actually gave Zipporah his hand in marriage to Moses. And then we see that the scripture records that Moses and Zipporah had two sons. Now, Exodus chapter 18 gives us the names of these two boys, which is very interesting. The first son was named Gersom. Uh, and the name Gersom means, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. So we have to realize that, that this was near the beginning of when Moses had fled to Midian. This was, he hadn't been there very long. And this gives us great insights behind his mindset at that early stage in the land of Midian. He considered himself an exile. He considered himself a foreigner he, in a foreign land. And it gives us a sense that he really longed to be back with uh, his people, back with the people of his heritage. And so he named his first son, um, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Now, after some time, we don't know exactly how much, Moses and Zipporah had a second son, and his name was Eleazar. And the name Eleazar means my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of the Pharaoh. Now, this is in reference to the whole killing episode that I mentioned to you previously. But this gives us great insights as far as where Moses' head is at now that the second son has come. He's not, no longer really considering himself as a foreigner, as an exile, but he's looking at the land of Midian more as a refuge. That God has brought him there as a refuge. And it gives us some sort of indication that Moses maybe never even uh, thought about going back to Egypt anymore. Um, that God had delivered him from Pharaoh's hand or for the sword of Pharaoh, and therefore I need just to be content where I'm at with my wife and my new family here in the land of Midian. Now, for the next 40 years, and I know that's a long time, basically Moses works as a shepherd for his father-in-law, 
And he's in the wilderness of the foothills of um, the shadow of Mount Sinai. Until one day, while shepherding his father-in-law's sheep, he saw an amazing sight. He saw a bush that was burning but was not consumed. And right there, God called Moses and said that he had seen the, and heard the, the misery of the Hebrews back in Egypt. And he said to Moses, the Lord said to Moses, so, so now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, of course, as you read the text, you find out that after many uh, objections, Moses finally agrees to go back as God's deliverer. He gets permission from his father-in-law to go back to Egypt. He packs up his wife and his two sons, and they go back to Egypt to deliver God's people from the bondage of slavery. You have to realize that this was a calling that Moses had on his life for decades. This was not some new thing. Even 40 years prior, even before that, Moses believed that God had called him as the deliverer of his people. Possibly even, even as we reflect back to um, the story with Moses' mother and that he was a beautiful child, the idea that they, they knew that God had called Moses to be the deliverer of God's people and perhaps she had even shared that insight with Moses as he grew up in Egypt. But as they're on their way back, this is what God's word reads. So Moses took his wife and his sons and put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. And it came about at the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet and said, You are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. So he, that is, God, let him alone. At that time, she said, you are a bridegroom of blood. She said this because of the circumcision. Now, this incident must have had great impact on Moses. As a matter of fact, this incident is found nowhere else in the Bible. If Moses wouldn't have recorded it here in these few short verses... We would have known nothing about it. But something about this episode, this event, that really impacted, I think, Moses and Zipporah. We see that we need to unpack just a few more details before we really come to a conclusion of why we find this story recorded in the pages of Scripture. Again, circumcision was the Old Testament sign of the, uh, of the covenant. As baptism is the New Testament sign of the covenant, so circumcision was the Old Testament sign given by God for his people. You know, the command God gave to Abraham, the father of the faith, uh, and Abraham was commanded to circumcise every male baby on the eighth day as a sign that they belong to God. Now, any uncircumcised male was to be cut off, no pun intended, 
Oh, that was a good one. You guys missed it, man. Have I lulled you to sleep? What's up? Any uncircumcised male was to be cut off from God's people. Why? Because they had broken the covenant. Now, clearly we see from this brief passage that Moses and Zipporah had not circumcised one of their sons. For Moses and Zipporah to neglect the circumcision of their son, well, this was an affront to God. It was basically they were saying that their family did not belong to God. So the question has to be asked, well, how could Moses be an effective leader of God's people if he himself was in violation to the command of God? Now, in the near future, we know in the days to come that Moses will be considered as the lawgiver. God will, it will reveal to him his holy law, which Moses will record in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So the question has to be asked, how could he be living in disobedience to the law of God at the same time of recording the law of God and telling the people of God to live in it, to live with it, to follow it? So I think we have to come to the conclusion that the seriousness of this neglect of Moses and Zipporah of not circumcising one of their sons can be seen clearly in God's hand of discipline upon Moses. It says the Lord sought to kill him. That's not good news. <laughs> the Lord sought to kill him. Now, we have to realize that Moses' neglect was not from forgetfulness. His, his neglect was not because of uh, Ignorance. His neglect was not because of carelessness. His neglect and their neglect together was a result of their, the, the, the purpose of their heart. It's amazing when you look at Scripture that, um, like, let's give, for example, in the book of Acts, when Paul is preaching uh, in Athens, and he's gone through the whole city, and he sees all these statues that the, that the Greeks had made to all these gods and stuff. And Paul says something like this. He says, you know, um, God will overlook your ignorance. But at least there is one of you all that had sense enough to know that there is this unknown God. And that's the God I want to talk about today. What is interesting is, is that Paul is saying, listen, God will look over ignorance. If you don't know. God will look over ignorance. But Moses and Zipporah knew. They weren't ignorant. They hadn't forgotten. It wasn't carelessness. It was purposeful from their heart. Now, many believe, and commentators have really struggled with this short passage, but many believe that either Zipporah or her father were in disagreement to circumcision. So instead of quarreling with his wife, or instead of creating problems with his father-in-law, the guy whose house he's living in, as well as his boss, so Moses just decided to just forego the circumcision of his son. We have to pause here and consider 
the fact that Moses, if we take this view, that Moses basically was seeking uh, to please others instead of pleasing God. And this is a big problem. This is a big problem in all of us. Seeking to please others instead of pleasing God. We want to be liked. We want to avoid conflict. We certainly do desire the approval of others. So what do we do? We conceal our convictions. We hide the light of God's word under a basket. And we forego our Christian responsibilities. It happens to all of us. And we do these things to gain the approval of others. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he asked the question that we all should be asking ourselves when he writes, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? That's what we need to ask ourselves. Are we seeking the approval of men or of God? And then Paul, we get a little bit of insights behind the way the Holy Spirit is working in his heart and life. And he says, or am I trying to please man? And then he goes on, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. So the Lord had worked in the Apostle Paul's life that he realized that if he's truly going to be a servant of Christ, that he had his main focus had to be to please God, to honor God. To do what God commands. To do what God desires. And not to seek the approval of others. It's interesting in this text Paul says, if I were still trying to please men. You see, prior to Paul coming to Christ, Paul was seeking the approval of others. Paul wasn't just trying to be a good Pharisee when he, when he ravaged the church of God, which was recorded in the book of Acts. It seems that Paul wanted to be known as the best Pharisee. He wanted, and when you read about his, his biography that he gives for himself in his epistles, it seems that this was a driving force in his life. Approval of others, approval of others, approval of others. But that's the way he was before he gave his life to Christ. After becoming Christian, it seems that Paul makes the point to live his life to please God. And not men. Because Paul knows that God is the one who examines our heart. God knows whom we're trying to please. So we have to ask ourselves, in what ways are you neglecting God's word and trying to gain the approval of others? Areas that you have purposed in your heart that you're going to neglect the word of God because you want the approval of others. I think it's very interesting here that, that, that if we didn't have these few verses in, in chapter 4 of Exodus, we wouldn't have known this ever happened at all. And that's the problem, isn't it? Is that when we conceal things and when we neglect things, we are probably the only ones that know that we're doing it. No one else knows, but we know and God knows. And I think what God is doing with this passage is driving us to get an understanding that God wants us to reveal ourselves to him 
and to others. I want to plead with you this morning not to be like Moses and Zipporah who waited until God invoked divine discipline on Moses. Don't do that. That's not a good choice. Now, many assume that Moses and Zipporah circumcised their first son because of Moses' strong conviction and connection with his heritage with the people of God. Remember what I said as far as what he named his first son, that I'm a foreigner in a foreign land, I'm in exile, the sense that he desired to be back with his people in Egypt. So he circumcised his first son and, and really kind of maybe was the driver of the circumcision of his first son because, because he really wanted a strong connection with the people of God. And he knew that the circumcision of the first son would help him in that way. But many have concluded that Zipporah had a negative experience with her first son's circumcision. And she took a stand against the circumcision of her second son. And Moses agreed with this because by this time, remember the name of the second son? He had believed that he would never return to Egypt, never return to his people, that God had placed him in Midian as a refuge, and therefore, oh, I can let a few things slide here and there. But God knows the heart. We see in the, the, the narrative that by Zephora's act of throwing the foreskin at Moses' feet and calling him a bridegroom of blood, <laughs> wow. What an experience. The guy's like laying there half dead already. But after she performed the circumcision, she throws it at his feet and calls him a blind groom of blood. And it causes many to conclude that she was the cause of the neglect of the circumcision. But I really don't think that's fair. It was both of their responsibilities. A man, and his woman shall, a man and a woman shall leave their parents and be joined together as what? One flesh. They both had neglected the circumcision. But clearly this incident shows that Zipporah knew the importance of circumcision as a sign of the covenant. And she knew their neglect their neglect as a covenant family to administer circumcision because as soon as Moses became deathly ill, the text reads, she immediately took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin. She knew exactly what was going on here. This shows that the circumcision or the lack of circumcision must have been a topic of discussion between Moses and his wife. This is something that they had talked about as a couple and they both knew that their neglect was sin. Now earlier I said that there had to be a reason why God has ordained this obscure short story to be written in the pages of Scripture. And I believe the reason was to show us that the sins of omission are as serious as the sins of commission. The sins of omission is the result of not doing something that God's word teaches us to do. 
And it's generally compared or contrasts with the sin of commission, which is a sin that a person actively commits. So we see adultery, bearing false witness, stealing. Well, these are all serious sins. Sins of commission. Something that you actively commit. But this short story shows us the sin of omission is just as serious. Before Moses gets to Egypt, God wants to reveal to him and to Sephora their sin of omission. The thing that they were not doing that God's word had clearly taught them to do. The Apostle James in the New Testament writes, Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Therefore, the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Moses and Sephora knew the right thing to do and they didn't do it. So their omission was sin. Just like the priest and the Levite knew the right thing to do was to help that poor guy who had been beaten up by those robbers and left on the side of the road half dead. They knew the right thing to do was to help that guy. But what? They chose to pass him by. Their sin of omission. Like Jonah knew the right thing to do was to go to Nineveh but instead chose to catch the first cruise to Tarsus. His sin of omission. Like Ananias and Sapphira knew the right thing was to do was to give all the proceeds of the property that they had just sold to the church as they had already promised. But instead they kept a portion for themselves. They knew the right thing to do, but they didn't do it. Therefore, it was their sin of omission. Now listen. Let's face it. We all commit sins of omission. As a matter of fact, we probably commit sins of omission more often than we commit sins of commission. We probably are neglect to do what we know is the right thing to do more often than we commit a overly sinful act. The Apostle Paul, again, he knew this about himself when he admits in Romans chapter 7 that he doesn't do what he knows he should do. <laughs> he doesn't do what he knows he should do. And Paul struggles with this, this nature within himself. He knows the right thing to do, but he's not doing it. And he, he seeks God for the answer for these sins of omission in his life. And when you get down to the bottom of uh, Romans chapter 7, Paul gives the answer for the sins of omission. And that is Jesus Christ. How could Paul come to this conclusion? Because the Apostle Paul knows, as we do by reading scripture, that in Christ, there were no sins of omission. Jesus Christ was the only one who ever lived that fulfilled God's law perfectly with no emissions. 
Jesus told us, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And who was going to accomplish everything? Jesus Christ. When Jesus was dying on the cross and he says, it is finished. It's not just he had finished by accomplishing all of God's righteous demands. He could say it is finished because he knew that he didn't omit one thing. What a blessed place to live. Amen. To know that your sins of commission have been forgiven and your sins of omission have been forgiven through Christ. And Christ knew this and he could say it is finished. Brothers and sisters. God, by his grace, has given us the righteousness, obedience of Christ as a gift. God, through Christ, has, a, have, has provided a, a covering, a, an, an, an atonement, not only for our, our willful, sinful acts, our sins of commission, but he has provided an atonement, a, a covering for our sins that we have omitted, the things that we know God desires in our lives to do, but we have not done it. So my challenge to you is to trust Christ. Trust Christ and Christ alone for his forgiveness of your sins of commissions, those acts that you have overtly done against God's word. But please, please, please trust Christ also for your sins of omission, the things that you have neglected to do and allow God to search your heart to reveal to you those things. So, of course, the question is, is what is it that God has told you that you have been ignoring? Sharing the gospel with a friend or a neighbor or associate. Getting baptized. Giving more to the work of the church. Volunteering. These are, these are easy examples, but they are examples that we often omit things that we omit in our life. And what I'm asking you this morning is to be like Sephora. She knew what God desired and she did it. Maybe her attitude wasn't the best. <laughs> we can criticize her all we want. But the fact is, when it came to the bottom line, she knew what God desired, and she finally did it. And that's what I'm challenging you. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you about things that you have omitted in your life. And he wants to bring you to this place today to recognize what he desires for you and to do it. And my challenge is for you not to wait until the situation becomes so serious where it's almost out of control. Do it now. Do it today. Admit your sin of omission to God. This is what he desires. Let me just one more thought here. 
you know that Moses and Zipporah, they were halfway to Egypt when they stopped at the inn that night. Halfway to Egypt when they stopped at the inn that night. They were on the threshold of God doing great things through their lives. Just read the rest of the book of Exodus. They were on the threshold. But there was something that needed to get cleaned up between them and the Lord before they could move forward. And you might be at the threshold of God doing something great in your life, through your life. But this morning, the Lord wants to address the thing that you have been neglecting in your spiritual life. And he wants to get that cleared up. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you today thanking you for the great work of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who had done all things to fulfill your righteous demands. It did not omit one. And we glory in him. We glory in Christ and Christ alone. Lord Jesus, I confess that you are the Son of God. Lord, you have done all things to secure my salvation. And Lord, I surrender my life to you. I give my life to you. Lord, and as your child, I come to you and pray that you would search me and know me. Lord, if there's any grievous thing in my life, pray that you would reveal it to me and lead me in the everlasting way. Lord, there's nowhere that we can flee from your spirit. Nowhere. Even as we start to feel comfortable in the land of Midian, we can't flee your presence. Lord, work deep in our hearts so we can be a people who do what you desire. And we pray these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.